everyone. Our greatest desire is that this podcast would make you more excited about studying the Bible. So we encourage all to come to their own conclusions based on a personal study of God's Word regarding the subjects being discussed. The views expressed by the guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our sponsors or who they represent. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review or share it with your friends. Now, here's the show. She's saying, you have that power. Yes. Like, where were you? Yeah, and it's interesting though, because it's, it's a statement of faith in the power, but it's also a statement of ignorance and not realizing how much more power Jesus had. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Joining me on today's show is Amy Ratsara. Amy grew up in Michigan and studied history in college before eventually going to law school at the University of Virginia. She currently works as a lawyer for local government and has a real passion for justice issues with children. Now, a friend of mine came to me a while ago and said, Dean, Dean, listen, I know someone who you need to get on the podcast. So I was like, okay, who? And she said, you need to hear Amy Ratsara. You need to hear about Martha. Martha's one of those Bible characters, like Cain and Abel or James and John, who rarely get mentioned alone. She's coupled together with Mary, her sister, as if she didn't have her own narrative. She oftentimes fades into the background as we adore Mary's total enthrallment with Christ. But Martha's not a background character to Jesus. In fact, when we pick up the story, Jesus, the Messiah, is on the way to her house. This is not the only time that Jesus came to their house, especially Uh when you're looking at that Passion Week that's leading up to when Jesus died and was resurrected. He is going over and over again back Mm -hmm. to Bethany. Mm -hmm. And as we study scripture more, we see that the reason he was going to Bethany is because he had this close relationship with this family. Um, When Lazarus became sick, the sister sent a letter and said, the one who you love is sick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's cliche to say Jesus loves me. But, you know, if the fact that the that John took that time to point out that this was a person who was considered to be someone who Jesus loved. It suggests that intimacy of friendship Uh there. It goes without saying that Jesus loves everyone. Exactly. So it's a state that there's someone here specifically that he loves. Yes. And then even when we see that um, this big celebration to celebrate the fact that Uh Lazarus came back to life, Martha is the one who is in charge of hosting it. Yeah. Um, And even back in this main verse that we're talking about, it doesn't say that we're at Lazarus's house. It doesn't say that we're at Mary's house. We are at Martha's house. Mm. She is the one who is in charge. In fact, we go right there to... um, to verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Right. So she's the lady in charge. She she knows what she's doing. She knows how to take care of other uh-huh, people. Uh-huh. 
So the other two we know definitely live with her in the first place? You know, I'm not so sure about that. Mm-hmm. It could be that they live in the same town. Um, right. You know, the different interpretations. It could be maybe the sisters live together and Lazarus uh-huh. lived somewhere separately. Right. But I think it's pretty clear that the three of them are living together in the same town. And mm-hmm. as siblings, they still are close. Um, when Jesus comes to after Lazarus has passed away, but before he's resurrected, mm-hmm. Martha comes out and meets him before he makes yeah. it to Bethany. Yeah. And then Mary comes from the house. So it does suggest that they're all very close together. Right. And yeah. if anything, she seems to be the leader. Yes. Even if they're not all together, she certainly takes initiative in being first point of contact right. and so on. And, you know, I think that that's typical with also every family. There's the one who's in charge. And yep. so, you know, from reading all this, we cannot obviously tell for sure from the Bible. But uh-huh. my hunch is like Martha is the oldest of the sisters and she may even be the firstborn all around. Right. That, you know, she's the mm-hmm. take charge leader. Let's get things done. And, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mary, I think. My hunch is Mary's the youngest free spirit who, you know, is <laughs> very happy to focus on the spiritual things and trying to dodge her sister and what she's right. trying to get her to mm-hmm, do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Avoiding the stuff that need to be done at home. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for the more apparently important things. Right. For sure. For sure. So it says in verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, which mm-hmm. also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not saying that Martha didn't hear Christ, right? that Martha didn't have a friendship at Christ, but it's almost juxtaposing the two. Right. Martha was known for, you know, she received them into her house, but Mary is known for being at Jesus' feet. Right, exactly. And, you know, I think that that's something that's interesting, that there can be two different approaches and even two different levels of interest. You right. know, you can imagine that Martha was probably running in and out of the room uh-huh. and coming here and there and like, you know, who knows, maybe Jesus came a little unannounced and had just come from a long trip sure. and was tired. And so she's like, oh, I need to take care of him. Right. And it's like um, that Latino spirit almost. You, know, yes. you go in someone's house and it's like, all right, I need to get you food, I need to get you drink. Yes. You finish your food, I'm going to get you more and more and more and more and more. It's like, you know, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yes. And so um, that that's exactly how she is, where, you know, if you even think about what Jesus's need at that time was mm-hmm. at the end of a long journey, coming right. to his best friend's house, that he might have just been ready, like, let's just talk for a minute mm, and then we mm, can go about mm, getting, you know, mm. our lentil soup and, and salad together <laughs> or whatever it might right. be. Yeah, the, just the way the way that it phrases everything, it, it kind of brings me back to Cain and Abel almost. Mm-hmm. Where you have these two siblings where one is known for this, you know, Cain was a hunter of, of, of such. He was the one that tilled the ground, but Abel kept sheep. His focus was on the lamb, his focus was on the sacrifice, was essentially on Christ where Cain is like, well, I need to get this done. Someone's yes. gonna provide for the family. And here we see almost something very similar with, with Mary and Martha. Yes, Martha is doing, it's this, we're not, we're not saying here that what she's doing is unimportant, but it just seems as though Mary has her priorities set up. Exactly, and you know, I think that that's really what comes out in the story. It's mm-hmm. not that Martha was doing anything wrong. It right. was the order in which that she did it, mm-hmm. that um, you know she wasn't taking that time to put that relationship first. And again, mm-hmm. we're talking about people who are seeing Jesus face to face in the flesh, you know, um, that she had an a friendship that was based on a mm-hmm. physical presence of somebody yeah. who was there and that she wasn't taking that time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's just so interesting when we even think now we're in this generation where we always have our iPhones or mm-hmm. tablets or whatever out wow. and we might be present in the room or we might be taking care of things. Let me order my groceries. You know, we can do uh-huh. so much on our phones now yeah. when like the person who's just sitting across from me just wants me to put that down and right. to talk to them that, mm-hmm. you know, a relationship is something that does require actual contact from yeah. person to person. 
And it's interesting that you bring up that point about the phones yeah. because here in verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted yes. about serving. So she's, she's doing good things, but it's a distraction. Yeah. Which is, it, this is, yeah, this is maybe the first time for me that I'm really reading <laughs> over this. She's distracted by doing good. Yeah. And the crazy thing is not only is she distracted by doing good, but she's so blinded by it mm. that she thinks that she's doing the right thing. Right. That it is more important for her to get all of these things done than to focus on that mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's why she comes out and she starts asking Jesus, you know, can't you tell my sister that she should be helping me? That, right. you know, she should be serving with me, that she should be doing what I'm doing. So she's making a value statement there uh-huh. that, you know, what I am doing is more important than what Mary is doing right, right. now, which is spending time with you. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, that's a pretty powerful statement. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is it is it hinting maybe at, at Martha's view of what the woman's role is in the house, at least in, in her opinion? Sure. I, I mean, I think it very well could be in, in the culture and uh-huh. that like, you yeah. know, it's our duty to get all of these mm-hmm. things together and ready and and to make sure that, you know, he has something yep. great to eat. So I think that it's definitely there. Because that's what I'm thinking, this this cultural thing that's coming through. Mm-hmm. Culture isn't bad. Culture isn't wrong. Right. You know, God has, God has I think, given us a lot of our cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that culture can be a distraction. Yes. It can keep us from the real relationship that we're meant to have with Christ. And I think this is this is really what Martha's problem might be. Yeah, I think that that's a very good point. And that, you know, just this pressure then that she feels as a result of that that culture to meet different expectations, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we all respond to expectations in different yeah. ways. Um, when they're exter- externally imposed, sometimes mm-hmm. people embrace them and they can meet them and do them, you know, above and beyond. And sure. that's where Martha is. Uh-huh. But sometimes people, they crumble underneath them mm-hmm. or they say, I'm not going to do that unless if I agree with it or right. they just, you know, I, I struggle to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that here she is responding to that cultural expectation, mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. internal expectation. Yeah. This is my home. I have a guest in my home. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that she's trying to get her sister to help her suggests that if she doesn't live in the home, at least culturally, she should be helping this sister. Right. And it's interesting because in, in some of my interactions that I've had with various young people, yeah. We speak about mission work. We speak about doing various things for the Lord, going mm-hmm. to to missionary school and, and these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And often the hindrance is actually culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we say, well, I'd love to go, but, um, well, my parents actually, they want me to do this. Uh, they want me to go here. And um, even when it comes to relationships, you know, there's there's cultures in which, you know, dating outside of that culture is frowned upon mm-hmm. um and even if it's the will of god even if so if it's so clearly the will of god we allow these things to become distractions and it's such a shame because so much good could come not if we just threw culture away mm-hmm. but if we prioritized if we look and said okay jesus is my first culture yes and then all of the other culture expectations can come can come later yeah and that's so powerful because i think when we really do make jesus the object of our life when mm-hmm. we you know, to use that common phrase, turn our eyes upon Jesus and let him be that main focus and let our life culture be dictated about being a follower of Jesus. Uh All those other things do fall into place. Mm -hmm. And um, many people think that, you know, I can accept Jesus, but keep this culture also, or I can keep these expectations. And, you know, culture, it's not necessarily even based in nationality. I um, I come from a a secular campus background. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, there was definitely a thing about, 
you know, taking pride in the fact that, oh, I'm a thinker and I've studied all these liberal arts and this and that. Sure. And that, you know, there's a culture there that you can really get tangled up in. And uh -huh. it's not that it's even necessarily bad. There's right. nothing wrong with being smart and studying or sure. anything. But if Jesus is not at the center of that, then mm -hmm. you could definitely mm -hmm. be misguided in right. the same way where if you're just so caught up in the busyness of everyday life uh -huh. that it can be very easy for us to miss that Jesus element in our life that is right. the most essential. So what would you say to someone that is perhaps in a position where there are cultural expectations laid upon them and they feel like that's keeping them maybe from the mission that Christ has for them. You know, I think first of all, it's it's fair to acknowledge that it is hard because many times we are raised in a different culture than a culture that's Jesus-centered. Right. And so, you know, I don't think to try to downplay the fact that it's not fair to downplay to someone to say that, you know, this isn't going to be something that's hard or a sacrifice. Uh -huh. But that said, at the end of the day, faithfulness to Jesus is always going to pay off. It may not be in a way that we expect. It uh -huh. may not be, you know, say you're from a wealthy family and they say, oh, if you do this, you know, we're going to cut you off. Right. You may not be brought back to that state where you would have been had you stayed in the family. Mm -hmm. But God promises that he will provide us with what we need yep. and we will have the peace of God. We'll have the joy of God. And he promises us an abundant life. Mm -hmm. And so I think just learning to cling to those promises mm -hmm. that when we follow Jesus, that's what we get as a result that mm -hmm. that is something that we have to lean upon and um, just allow ourselves to be amazed about where God does lead. Right. Um, yeah, you know, I think that even in talking about this, it reminds me of an experience I had when I finished college. I um, My plan was to go to law school, uh -huh. but my last year of law school, I, I'm, I'm sorry, my last year of college, I started sensing that maybe I shouldn't go Maybe not ever, but wow. for sure not right away. Uh -huh. And so as I was considering that, I really felt the Holy Spirit calling me to be a missionary, mm. but not abroad, a missionary still in North America okay. on a college campus to uh -huh. reach out to other students. And um, my parents, they come from an education background themselves. They right. knew that I had always been on this trajectory mm -hmm. to be a lawyer. Wow. And why are you going to stop doing that now? Right, this right. is not, you know, and I'm an only child. So mm. that parental relationship wow. is actually a really close you got one. It hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as, as we went through all of this, you know, I just, I had to believe that where God was calling me was what he was really calling me mm. to do. At the time I made that decision, even though I had really good marks in school, even though I did decently on the law school entrance exam, uh -huh. I was not getting recruited by law schools. And to me, that was telling that, you know, it was one of those things that was telling me this is not what I'm supposed to be right. doing. I embraced going to that missionary year. And as I went through the, that year, I saw it was it was supposed to be a retraining experience, a time mm. for me and God to, for me to refocus, right. spend that time individually with God, make sure that we are, you know, on the same page together, that I am putting him first mm. in everything before diving into something as intense as law school, but that yes, law school was going to be the next step. Okay. And so as that happened and, um, you How know, was that received? You know, before I, I did not tell my parents about that initially, so they were not happy that I was going to be mm. a missionary. They, but they said, "You are an adult now. You know, you believe this is where and where God is calling you." They were their believers also. Uh -huh. um, you know, we don't see it, but you do what you're convicted to do. And so um, that next year, 
when they came to visit me partway through the year, all of a sudden I was getting recruited from law school after the law school. Mm. They were waiving application fees. They, people were begging me to apply to their law wow. school. And um, Had you taken another exam? I had not taken another exam. Mm. I had already completed school. Sure. And so when my mom and dad came to visit, you know, and I was talking about this, I said, I don't know why this is happening. You know, I, I nothing has changed about me. Right. You know, um, and now all of a sudden law schools want me when mm-hmm. before, you know, they were not really making any interest. I was going to have to do all the work myself. Sure. And I remember my mom saying specifically, that's because you are where God wants you to be right wow. now. And by the end of that year, we had a program that kind of um, was for families to come to. And a lot of the students who we had worked with in reflection on the year, kind of celebrating, you know, what the Lord had done that year. There were mm-hmm. some baptisms. And... Um, I remember them just being in tears by the end of that program saying that, you know, you had been faithful to what God called you to do. And, you know, I would not be the person who I am today if I had not followed that leading of the Holy Spirit Mm. at the time. This is exactly what you're saying. You know, taking that step out, taking those promises and trusting that God will will do what he said he would do. Absolutely. And so, you know, sometimes our experience is the only thing we can rely mm-hmm. on to encourage mm-hmm. other people in terms of how to deal with those things. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've had other friends who, like you said, because of culture, they're expected to marry a certain way or right. they're expected to study a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And just having that trust that God will direct your life and he will work out the rest. That's what we have to rely on. And for Martha, that was tough. It was clear that she was a go-getter, a woman of action that needed no prompting to make things happen. And when you have these gifts, when you have that type A personality, if you will, it's so easy to lose sight of Christ in the very midst of working for him. Jesus notices this, and you can almost feel his concern through the way that he reaches out to her, Martha. Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. It's necessary for Christ, in the most loving way, to rebuke her and show her that even though her motives are great, she's got it wrong. He's telling her that your focus is wrong. He's mm-hmm. not saying that the many things you're worried about aren't things to be worried right. about. It's that, you know, there's one thing uh-huh. that's needed, I think is what um, my um, version says in the next verse, 42. Yep. Um, so it is a rebuke. It's saying that you're you're letting yourself get perplexed by all of these things. Mm-hmm. It really reminds me of the um, instruction that Jesus gives when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew right. chapter 6, uh-huh. you know, about be anxious for nothing and that at the end of the day, our goal, our, what we're supposed to be seeking out, the purpose of our life is seeking first the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and his righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. Right. And so he's not saying like, no, I don't want to eat or no, I wouldn't like some clean sheets on right. my bed or, you know, whatever it might be, but that that's not the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's taking that time to say, Martha, Martha. I think it does go to the personal, like you said, aspect of it that, you know, this is someone he knows. It's, you Mm -hmm. know, it reminds you of like a parent almost telling their child, you know, saying the name over again. It's one of the only times we see in the Bible where Jesus uses someone's name twice in a row Uh and always in the context of a rebuke, but always somebody that he ends up loving and someone who always ends up doing a great work for Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. We know he says Peter, Peter at one point and then Saul, Saul at one point um, who becomes Paul. 
So these are people who do mighty things for God. If he's telling Martha, Martha that as well, we know mm-hmm. that there's something powerful that she can do. Right, right. Yeah. So he says there's one thing. Yeah. It, it reminds me of when he has that conversation with the rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one thing oh, that you're lacking. That's I had not thought about that before, but right, yes, yeah. absolutely. There's one thing that's missing. In other words, he says, I'm doing everything right. Yeah. And Jesus says, yeah, you've, you know, you've kept the commandments from a youth up and you've done this, but, yeah. but there's one thing. Yes. And that's always struck me because one thing can keep us out of heaven. Mm. You mm. know, one thing is enough. For Adam and Eve, it was one thing mm-hmm. that messed everything up. Mm-hmm. And he, what, I, what I love is that if I was sitting down with someone and I noticed, wow, this person is, they're great. Mm-hmm. They're doing everything like it's 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 just great. I love having them around. They're very hospitable, yeah. but they only had like one thing that was, you know, a little mm-hmm. blight in their character. Okay, that's fine. Right. But with Christ, he's so concerned. This is someone that he loves deeply. And he's like, I can't let that go. Right. And it's not, I think, him being picky. I think it's the actual spirit of Christ. Where I care for you so much yeah. that even if there is just one thing, Let's work it out. Yeah. And I think that that's so incredible to think about because mm-hmm. it seems like these days self-improvement is kind of a big thing and people go on these long journeys to find themselves. You right. know, there's the famous book, Eat, Pray, Love, where, you uh-huh. know, she goes to Italy and India and then uh, Bali, I think. And, right. You know, these these quests for self-actualization. Uh-huh. But a lot of times, I the thing I've been sensing a lot in culture is that it's embrace who you are, give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still very self-focused, but it doesn't, even in the context of self-improvement, it doesn't necessarily mean that character is being formed in a way Mm -hmm. that's redemptive. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that's not what Jesus is calling us to, you know, Jesus is going to bring to our attention those areas that need work Mm -hmm. and that need help and that um you know the fact that he is telling us something about it tells me that he's going to help with that too Uh you know so in the rebuke there's encouragement there is you know there is grace in it it's saying that i've noticed this about you Mm -hmm. but just come sit at my feet you know and and that's all i'm asking you to do come spend some time with me Mm -hmm. it almost looks as though the the conversation ends abruptly Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, look, there's one thing that's needful and, and Mary's doing it. And, and that's kind of it. But it doesn't end abruptly in the sense where he is actually telling her how that can be remedied. Right. He's saying, look at what Mary's doing. This is where I need you. Right. I need you right here with her. Right. This is great. But imagine if you were here. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, again, when we look through the rest of the Gospels, this is not the last time we see Martha hosting. Right. So it's not like... Martha gave up her hosting business, so uh-huh, to say, uh-huh. you know, she continued to do that thing that she was excellent at. Mm-hmm. But we have every reason to believe with the fact that she was one of the two who sent this message to Jesus, that this wasn't something that was a friendship killer, right. which I mean, now we could go on another tangent where, you know, us helping each other should mm-hmm. not be friendship killers if we right. are encouraging one yeah. another. Um, but what, this is, I think, where you see your true friends. Exactly. You know, are, are there people in your life that are willing to tell you that there is one thing? Right. Right, that this one thing, and this is how you can you can improve it, pointing mm-hmm. you back to Jesus. Right. Um, 
But the fact that then afterwards she does continue to serve dinners, including this huge dinners to celebrate both what Jesus did and the fact that her brother was now alive yeah. again. Uh-huh. Um, and so to me, it talks about really the power of what Martha has and mm-hmm. of her skill set and how important that is, but in the context of making sure that Jesus remains first. Mm. So that the fact that she was diligent, she was considerate, she was thoughtful, she created an environment of people who actually wanted to come to her. Jesus decided to go to her house. There's yeah. a reason why he chose her house. Frequently. Yes. <laughs> you know, so there was something powerful about all of that, about her ministry of hospitality, mm-hmm. but that it first needed to be consecrated by that relationship with Jesus. But that once it's consecrated by that relationship mm, with Jesus. Exactly. It's almost like she's unstoppable, yeah. you know, and I think we've all met people like that uh-huh. who, you know, you just know, do not get in their way because they're <laughs> going to run you over. Yeah. And, you know, I think that Jesus wants people like that. He just wants to make sure that they spend that time with him, because if you're someone who's going to run someone over, it better be for the right reasons <laughs> and not for the wrong ones. Right. <laughs> right. So, so where is the next time that we do see her hosting? Um, the next time we see her hosting is in John chapter 12. Uh-huh. Um, and it is in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, this is just before the Passover feast. So this is also just before um, Jesus um, is crucified. Mm-hmm. And we earlier find out that the plot to kill Jesus came as a result of him resurrecting Lazarus. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that He was so close with this family that they meant so much to him. He worked this incredible miracle that so enraged Jesus's enemies that they said, that's it. It's time to take him out now. Um, It's really telling. And that as a result of this, they also were starting to look at Lazarus as well. If you read through all of chapter Mm -hmm. 12. But this whole dinner where they're all coming together, it says in chapter 12, verse 1, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who was I'm sorry, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. Mm. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Um, And so we see again, Martha is serving. Lazarus is there. He's fellowshipping with him. And this is the story where we find later that then Mary came and made that costly sacrifice Mm -hmm. of sharing. Um, But specifically focusing on Martha, she's still at that work of Uh hospitality. uh But we don't see any rebukes from Jesus in in the way that she's serving here. That is interesting because Mary is not just sitting at Jesus' feet anymore. Yeah. She's gone one step further. You know, she's wiping his feet with her hair if anything her it looks as though her experience with christ by this time has gotten even deeper mm-hmm. and martha's still serving yeah but christ makes no f there's no martha martha here which tells us that something has obviously changed yes and you know i think that that's a powerful for us when we look at different people who respond to jesus's grace differently mm. it doesn't mean that we haven't had an experience with christ right it just I think that there is a role of personality and a character that Jesus works with. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, again, Mary being the free spirit sister, like that she's open and expresses about everything. But Uh Martha, what she knows how to do is to serve and to serve well. But she's now learned how to make that serving something that is actually an offering as opposed to something that she takes pride in and something that becomes the source of her identity. So Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet, Mm -hmm. as extravagant as it is, doesn't mean that she's closer to Jesus than Martha is. Right. 
Absolutely. And I think when you look at the previous chapter, John 11, which we see Jesus having contact with both Martha mm-hmm. and um, Mary, um, it shows that they are both close with him and close right. with him in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that we really see that we're close, that they're close with him um, is in 11 verse 21, you see Martha, she's now rebuking Jesus <laughs> and she's telling him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right. And so at first you might think, man, Martha, why is she always telling Jesus things? Right. But when you read a little bit further down, we see that Mary told Jesus the same thing as well, uh-huh. um, that when she came out and she met him, she said that he... Um, you know, if he had been here, my brother, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mm. Um, so once again, we just see how close he really was with this family, that they felt comfortable kind uh-huh. of calling him out in a way that maybe others who who just casually knew who he was would not right. have. Even though she often went about it in the wrong way, Martha had what most of us long for, a personal relationship with Jesus. And while we may relegate her to a background character, Jesus certainly doesn't. He sees this woman, with all of her faults, as one of his closest friends. After the break, we head to Lazarus' tomb and see just how far Jesus is willing to go for those whom he loves. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. Now, normally we have some cool advertisement here with some quirky music to accompany it. This time, however, we have a special announcement that we need you all to pay special attention to. But we've got some quirky music for this too. Our next episode, episode 12, is going to be our final episode. For season one. We've had such a blast making this podcast and hearing all of your feedback and testimonies has touched us so much. So much that we're refusing to take this work for granted. This is what we love doing and we love that you love it. We're already working on season two and we've got some amazing episodes lined up already that we can't wait to share with you. There's a lot more to say so make sure to tune into our season finale on Friday, February 8th to hear all the details. Along with her brother Lazarus and sister Mary, Martha is one of Jesus' closest friends. She allows us to peek into the personal life of the Son of God. Oftentimes, Jesus is depicted as a man consumed by evangelistic ministry, but clearly he knew the importance of making personal relationships, connecting with people and drawing near to them, especially in times of discouragement. But it looks like that relationship could be in jeopardy. Knowing that Jesus could have saved her brother's life, Martha could have given up her faith, but she doesn't. Instead, she uses this time to confess to Christ that while she may not understand what he's doing, she trusts that Jesus is the Messiah 
and it will all work out in the end. Jesus, however, has something a little more dramatic in mind. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. So Mm -hmm. once again, we kind of see that Martha's the doer. She goes, I'm going to go find Jesus, and Mary um, is staying home, and she's sitting. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is interesting that Martha is now going to Jesus. You know, she knows that that's who she needs to Uh see. Um, And what's really fascinating here is we start to see the faith that Martha really does have. You know, this is the time when we don't see her serving. We see her thinking and Mm. what she's saying. And, um, you know, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. So once again, that that rebuking of Jesus and... um, But it's a a crazy faithful statement as well, you know, because it's not as if Lazarus wasn't sick or if Jesus being there means that he wasn't going to be sick all of a sudden but she's saying you have that power yes like where were you yeah and it's interesting though because it's it's a statement of faith in the power but it's also a statement of ignorance and not realizing how much more power jesus had Mm. because you know she's saying if you would have been here he wouldn't have died in her mind death is the end like there was nothing jesus even could do about against Mm -hmm. this and Mm -hmm. you know i think so many times we can reach those points in our life where if god would have intervened here or here or here it would have been okay but there's no way he can intervene now but that's not what happens here Mm. and so um i think it's both it's I think that all around is encouraging, you yeah. know, that she had that statement of faith. She knew he was powerful and it wasn't even crossing her mind yet what even more he could do. And so then what she says is, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. What do you think she's hinting at there? You know, I it's interesting because it doesn't seem like she's hinting at what ultimately does happen. Right. Yeah. Um, it seems like she's just basically saying, even though I went through this incredibly hard experience of losing my brother, we're close siblings, you know, we're all friends with you, even though I have lost him and I Uh know you could have saved him and for whatever reason you didn't come back, I still believe in you. Mm. I still believe that Mm. you can do what you do and um, that it's gonna happen. And so I think she's saying that she's not lost her faith in who Jesus is. And so then Jesus assures her, your brother will rise again with no hint about when it is that that resurrection (laughs) is gonna happen, you know? It's almost as if he's (laughs) toying with her a little bit here. Exactly, exactly. And so then she says, I know that he will rise again. And you know, if she had stopped there, maybe it would stay ambiguous, but Uh she says in the resurrection, at yep. the last day. Yep. So sometime way far in the future, uh-huh. I know he'll raise again, assuring him that she believes that he's mm-hmm. met the criteria for having eternal life. Right. She's confident. Yes. But Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Mm such powerful words to know that Jesus is both the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. Like as long as we are in Jesus, we have life. And though um, a temporary death may come to any of us, that as long as we are safe in him, that death will never come to mm-hmm. us, that we will ultimately be in heaven and be uh-huh. resurrected at the end of time. And what I've always found interesting about this is whenever we see Jesus perform these acts of miracles, he has this kind of statement. Do you believe? Mm-hmm. It's like he's waiting for you to show that you do in fact have faith 
before he goes ahead and actually performs the miracle. Yeah. Except obviously this time he can't ask Lazarus if he has faith. Because mm -hmm. Lazarus is already dead. And so I wonder if because his because his initial response, he will rise again, was so ambiguous. Mm -hmm. If perhaps this was actually a test for Martha. Martha, do you believe that I have the power of resurrection? Not just at the end, yeah. but right now. Because if you do, maybe something can be done. But if you don't, then... Yeah. Maybe Lazarus stays dead. Right. And that's that's fascinating. I had never thought about that before, but I do think that it's completely consistent with the way that we see Jesus acting mm -hmm. in all of these different circumstances and how encouraging that is to know at like this darkest moment, you don't even realize this might be a test of your faith, mm -hmm. but the biggest miracle is about to happen. Wow. And she affirms it. She says, yes, Lord, I do believe that you're the Christ. You're the son of God who has come into the world. And again, this is the time when people are still trying to figure out, is Jesus the Messiah? Mm -hmm. Is he not the Messiah? She the knows. Pharisees are saying, but she knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she 100% believes it. Um, and so, you know, as you go through the story, we see Mary comes out. She says the same thing, but he doesn't do that test of faith with her. Uh -huh. It's just with Martha. So, you know, this is where we really see um, Martha come forward and state uh -huh. what she believes. And then something interesting happens. So Jesus asks to see where they had laid Lazarus. Yep. And, you know, that makes sense. When your friend dies, you want to go. If you weren't able to be there for the funeral, mm -hmm. you would want to go and visit the place where they've been buried so that mm -hmm. you could take your time to mourn. And this is the instance where we see that the Bible says that Jesus wept. Yep. He felt human emotions just like mm -hmm. we did because uh -huh. he's human just like we are. What I love about this is that it's almost similar when when we see, and, and this is a big tangent, but when you go to the Garden of Eden and God creates man, mm -hmm. he says, you know, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helpmeet for him. And then takes Adam to name the animals. Mm -hmm. And in Genesis 2, it specifically states that God wanted to see what Adam would call them. Mm -hmm. But God already knows what Adam was going to call them. Mm -hmm. But he... God's knowledge of what had happened and what would happen didn't keep him from experiencing the present with them. Mm -hmm. So as Adam named the animals, God is there knowing exactly what he's going to call that one, mm -hmm. but still experiencing it with him. Mm -hmm. And even here we find Jesus, he knows that Lazarus is dead and he also knows that he's going to resurrect him. Right. But in that, at that moment, in that time, Mary on one side, Martha on the other, Jesus still feels that heartbreak of what it's like to lose someone. Right. And I think that's so encouraging for all of us to know that whatever it is that we're experiencing in our life, mm -hmm. even though God knows the end from the beginning, Jesus knows the end from the beginning and knows what's going to happen next, that he can commiserate with us, yeah. that he is a faithful friend and um, that he can know what it's like for us to go through that because he's been through it mm -hmm. himself. But if there can be any humor in one, one of Jesus's greatest miracles and two in um, such a sad story, uh -huh. a story about the loss of a brother, um, we see that then Jesus says, take away the stone. It's in verse 39. Before that, we see that there were some skeptics there, some of the, perhaps uh -huh. some of the Pharisees yep. saying like, oh, well, couldn't he have, sure. you know, again, all this short-sightedness, everybody saying, well, if he's made blind, people see, you know, couldn't he have healed this man? Right. So Jesus says, take away the stone. And once again, everybody is still short-sighted here. Mm. They have no idea of the bigness of what Jesus is thinking about right. doing. And so Martha, she steps in. She says, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, 
Um, by this time, there's a stench where he's been dead four days. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we see once again this fantastic host worrying about the presence of everyone. Like yep. that's not going to go so well. You know, can we can we not do this, please? I know that you're sad, but can we not do this? Right. But it's also really telling for us that our own short-sightedness could if it weren't for God's grace, get mm. in the way of some of the biggest things that he wants to do. Her objection here is stopping, in theory, could have stopped Jesus from doing his biggest miracle. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, she was trying to put a halt on him and what he was doing. But then that's not what happened, you mm -hmm. know. Um, it continued to her. And he reminds her of that conversation that they had just had. Uh -huh. You know, he says, did I not say that you would believe that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. And that seemed to be enough to her. And I wonder if in that moment she knew what was going to happen. Oh, that, man. You know, Can you imagine? No, or just at least the anticipation right. even of it. That like, no, is, could this be what he means? Um, and that then they did take that stone away and that um, Jesus lifted his eyes. He says, Father, I thank you and you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave cloths and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And although it doesn't mention it in the text, you can imagine who's first to reach for Lazarus to help him unwrap and clean him up. You see, Martha is still Martha. Her mission, her gifts are still in serving others. Christ hasn't exchanged her gift of hospitality for something seemingly more important. No, instead, he's given her perspective. All of our gifts, regardless of the importance society or even the church puts on them, can be a hindrance to us if we are not first devoted to Jesus and pursuing him before all. For though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains and have not charity, have not love, I am nothing. So really, when I first took this story to heart, when I took the time to learn more about Martha and what she mm -hmm. did, it was on reflection after a work that I did for a Christian organization. Mm -hmm. The organization hosts an annual conference every year, and I was one of the executives of the group who, who did this. Right. And I just remember in this particular year, I was so busy. I was not eating at all. I was mm -hmm. not sleeping and just running around, getting everything done that needed to get done. Uh -huh. I was allowing myself to get so caught up in the work itself mm -hmm. that I was not remembering the reason why I was doing the work. And um, I just 
prayed to God, like, please don't let this happen again. I don't want to ever be doing your work and get lost in the midst of doing it. And I really learned that as a result of studying Mm -hmm. Martha's life. So as the next year's conference came, my prayer going in before the conference was, Lord, help me to remember to keep you first Mm -hmm. and to to also do things like take care of myself through the midst of this, that this um, Christian conference would be something that I actually can gain a blessing from Mm -hmm. and that I'm not turning into someone who's hurtful to others. By God's grace, every single day um, I was able to wake up. I was able to have that time with Jesus in in devotions. Um, I made sure to drink water. I made sure to actually eat my meals. And um, I did receive a huge blessing from that conference that year. Fast forward to the very last day of the conference, Mm -hmm. though. Everything's getting torn down. It's when, you know... All the people who are attending go away, but the behind the scenes people are still there. Right. And so it's falling apart. The Marthas. Yes, the, <laughs> the Marthas are still there. And um, I had left my bag in a place that ended up being chaotic, my purse. It had, um, fortunately it did not have my wallet. For whatever reason, I had taken that out and left it in the hotel that morning. But it had my cell phone, it had a watch that I had, it had some notebooks and some other things that were important to me. Uh-huh. And I went back to the place where I had left it and it was gone. Mm. And that temptation came into my mind to Mm. say, why God, I was doing all of these things for you. I was being good and sitting at your feet, you know, every single day. And um, why did this happen to me? The temptation entered my mind, that Uh that temptation to think it and to embrace that thought and to follow it down the rabbit hole. Um, But by God's grace, I was able to dismiss the thought and say, you know what? God has blessed me in every step so far in this conference. Either I don't need that bag anymore Mm. or it's going to be okay. So some friends said, you know, it's done. We have nothing else to do here. You know, we're staying another night here. Let's go. Let's get some food or something to eat. So we go into town. Again, thankfully, my wallet, for whatever reason, was not in that purse. So I was able to pay for my sandwich. I think we went to Jimmy John's. And while we are driving back to the hotel, one of my other friends' phones rings and says they found Amy's bag. Um, she just needs to go to this office and it's the security who has it and she can go pick it up. To this day, I still don't know how it ended up there. I don't know who found it. I don't know who picked it up. I don't know what happened at all. But to me, it was just God telling me that, yes, you were being faithful. You, I wanted to make sure <laughs> that you were remembering who was in charge of all of this, mm-hmm. that you didn't take pride in the fact that you had been spending time with me, but that it was a true experience that had changed who you are. He that hath an ear, Let him hear, and you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whytheydidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at whytheydidthat. This show was produced and edited by Christian Freed. Finally, we want to thank Weimar Institute, the media department, and especially Teresa Costello for help making this possible. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.